0: Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, September 25th, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for Faith Bridge online at faithbridge.org live. Here's Ken. Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Glad that you are here in the live service, or if you're over in communion, or if you're online. However, it is that you're here, we're really, really glad. So, take your Bible, and we're going to go today to Luke chapter 14, actually, for the third time here in these three weeks. And so, you'll be turning to Luke chapter 14. And and while you're turning, I'll just tell you a story and ask if you've ever had a situation sort of like this. I was making a purchase somewhat recently at a company whose name will remain anonymous. And <clears throat> the interesting thing about it is, is, I thought we had a really good deal. And, but then, as we were getting close there, and it's, 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 all of a sudden, it was like there was like, oh, yeah, and I forgot to tell you this. This is a little thing, and you got to add this. It's like there's a little asterisk. And you ever been in one of those situations? I'm not the only one. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. This is kind of changing everything. He like, no, that's really no big deal. I said, well, it's no big deal to you because you're not paying the money. But see, it's kind of a big deal to me. And we should have told this up front that would have maybe helped me to sort of make up my mind. Which makes you kind of want to ask on the front end, okay, stop here. If I give you this amount of money... With no other pennies added on. Nothing added on for tax. Nothing added on for you. Nothing added on for your company. Nothing added on for some other entity that we haven't even thought of to name. (laughs) Will I get this? Because then he or she finally has to say, well, actually, yeah, okay. See, that's what I was talking about. Now, the reason I just was thinking about that this week is because as as I've been studying the text that we're looking at today, it comes through so clearly that Jesus, though he could be uh, called many things, he could not ever be called a slick salesman. He was never obscuring what he was offering he was never hiding in little, little microscopic font with an asterisk on the back of the brochure burying the challenges of here's what it means if you want to be one of mine, if you want to follow after me. He was never underselling what it meant. And so we come here towards the end of chapter 14. You'll remember from the past two weeks, he's been having this dinner party With the Pharisees, at this point, somewhere between 23, 24, and 25, he stood up, and that dinner party's over, and now he's back on the road. We don't know exactly how many people are there, but we always know that people were following him. So maybe it was dozens, maybe it was hundreds, maybe it was one of those days that he's gonna have a thousand or more people who were following him. Everybody followed Jesus because Jesus had the it factor. He was the guy that could do the miracles. He could do the healings. He always had wise things to say. And sometimes if you were lucky, you'd luck into one of those days where he multiplied the fish and the chips and you got a free lunch out of the deal. And so Jesus is walking along and then all of a sudden he turns around and he says something that surely shocked them. And it's going to shock us as well. He says, in essence, I, I'm not sure you folks are really picking up on what it means to follow me. I, I don't know if you're really picking up on what it means to be one of my followers, one of my disciples. And so let me just back up. I just want to make it really clear. Really, really clear. In case by accident you've boarded the wrong airplane so that you can deplane at this time. If this is not the plane that you meant to board. And he's going to suck it to him. And he's going to suck it to us. It's one of the most challenging portions in all of this book of Luke we're working through in 2022. Let's start in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said... If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Once you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everybody will see it and ridicule you and they'll say, that person began to build and he wasn't able to finish Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king and when he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000, if he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. These are very challenging words he comes to. He's gonna issue three challenges, really, in this segment. Three challenges that they had to deal with, three challenges that you and I have to deal with as well. So if you're a note taker, here's the first one. Following Christ involves rearranging your priorities. Where do you get that? Verse twenty-six. If anybody comes to me and does not hate their mother and father and wife and children and brother and sisters, their own life, they can't be my disciple. Now we read that and we're like, what? That cannot be right. Jesus, you're the one who always said you're supposed to love everybody and forgive everybody, even your enemies. And and in the Old Testament it says, honor your father and mother. Don't hate your father and mother. Honor your father and your mother. How can you not be saying, hate them, hate their family, even your own life? That's crazy. I love my parents. On the other hand, some of you are like, not so hard for me. <laughs> I've been hating them for years. <laughs> and silliness aside, if that is you, that signals that there's a real problem. There's a wound in your soul. And even though time and this sermon doesn't permit us to go down that. I will just say, I do hope you won't just laugh it off, but that you might deal with that. Reach out to us here. Help us try to help you to get underneath the enamel layers of coating to where that wound is so that you can be healed of it. Otherwise, you're going to drag that along with you into all of your future relationships. But Jesus, when he says this word hate, he's not using the word hate in the normal hostile sort of way that we use the word hate. He's using what was called Semitic idiom. It was a form of hyperbole, overstating something in order to make a comparison. You see it back in Genesis chapter 29. You remember when Laban uh, says to his future son-in-law, Jacob, you work for me seven years and you can have my uh, daughter, Rachel, whom you love, and you can marry her. And so he works these seven years. And he goes to get married to, to Rachel. And the morning, first morning of the honeymoon, when the sun is out and the berk is off, he looks at her and he says, you're not Rachel, you're Leah! Which is a pretty strange way to start a honeymoon. And, and you know but the father-in-law thankfully does let him go ahead and marry Rachel too but even that is a bad arrangement there's always tension because our souls aren't made for polygamy there was always tension between the two it didn't work back in bible times it doesn't work now but the bible <clears throat> you'll read there in Genesis 29 especially in the original language Jacob loved Rachel But he hated Leah. Now when it says he hated Leah, it doesn't mean he was mean to her, he didn't provide for her, didn't take care of her. No, no, it just means compared to Rachel. That's who he really loved. Or like this, (laughs) some of you, if you're longtime Houstonians, you'll remember before we had the Houston Texans, we had the Houston Oilers. That was our professional football team. And for a fun era back in the 70s called Love Your Blue, our... Beloved coach was Bum Phillips. And Bum Phillips would wear a cowboy hat and he talked like a cowboy. And and he was always a fun fellow to listen to because he was so funny. And uh, one time he was talking about how uh, his, his wife had said, Bum, I think you love football more than you love me. And Bum said, I thought about it a minute. And then I said, Well, honey. I love you more than baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what you're comparing to, you know? But you still have been in there in the, in, the, in the top several. And, uh, but Jesus is saying here, I don't just wanna be among your favorites. He's saying, I'm gonna live the sinless life You won't be able to live. So that then I'll be qualified to die the death of punishment. That should have been your death to die. I'll be your substitute. And then I'll conquer the grave. Overpowering death. And then I'll infuse to you. That same grace. That same dynamite. That will sustain you and give you resurrection power, giving you life abundant and everlasting as well. But here's the deal. I'm gonna give all of me for you. And I want you to give me all of you. See, (laughs) that's the hard part for us American Christians. Yes, you said that to Christians in other parts of the world, and certainly throughout history, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's, we know that. In America, we kind of wish that he would said something like, look, I know how busy, busy, busy you are. You've got your marriage, you got your job, you got the kids, you got activities, you got aging parents, hobbies to keep, destinations to seek, net worth to build up. I get it, you're so, so busy. Could you just pinch out? maybe 5% of your time, 5% of your heart, 5% of your energy, 10 on a good day, and just give that part to me, and we'll call it even. We'll say, that's good enough. Could you just give me that? That's what we American Christians would sometimes like to think he said. Just give us, it, like, what's the irreducible minimum? We gotta go into this thing, Jesus, and we'll be good. Jesus like, that's not ever what I came offering. I'm offering all of me for you. I want all of you for me. If I'm gonna be your Lord at all, I'm gonna be your Lord of all. Lord of your family Lord of your finances, Lord of your relationships, Lord of everything. Now, if you're saying, this sounds kind of serious. It is. I've been wrestling with it all week. Some of the most serious verses in all of Luke. So let's just pause and I'm gonna ask you some questions I've been asking myself, even as I've been writing the talk. Think back in your own life, for the last month, maybe two, and ask yourself, where has following Jesus interfered with your priorities. Maybe in your finances. Because I love the Lord, we're gonna do this instead of that. Maybe on how you post on social media. You know, I could, but because I love the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. Maybe how you're handling your sexuality. Saying, you know, it's, it's not my body. I say it's my body. It's not my body. I've been bought by Christ. I belong to him. Maybe how you're handling your time or serving other people. Who are you serving? If you say, I can't think of anything I've really modified whatsoever. I can't think of any priorities that Jesus has affected. Well then I wonder if somehow you've grabbed hold of what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. That's grace that had no sacrifice. As if you could separate the believing from the following. You asked the early Christians, could you just believed and then sort of kept in the shadows? Those that died of martyrs' deaths, even in other parts of the world, even now. You ask them, they'll be like, that's not what Jesus came offering. He came saying, I'm giving all of me for you. And the exchange is, I want all of you for me. And I will infuse life into you. Dude, he's gonna reshape our priorities. That's the first thing. Second thing, following Christ means dying to your plans. It's gonna mean dying to your plans. Maybe not all of them, but it's gonna mean you're gonna have to die to some. See, back in those days, everybody knew what it meant if the Roman uh, uh, soldiers pulled up into a village, started knocking on a door until finally a man comes out. And they strap the cross beam of a cross on his shoulder and say, start walking. Everybody in the village knew that man's not coming back. He's gonna die on that cross later today. See, nowadays, we look at the cross After the resurrection. Because we see it from this side of the resurrection. And we say the cross represents victory. And that's why we make decorations for our homes. About crosses. And we have necklaces. And jewelry about crosses. But back then. On the front side of the cross. uh, Of of crucifixion. Of Christ in the resurrection. You're not going to find anybody wearing a cross around their neck. Any more than you would find today. Anybody wearing a necklace with an electric chair hanging off of it. You're not gonna see that. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to follow me. And that means there's gonna be a funeral. And the funeral is gonna be yours. A physical funeral? Probably not. Maybe. Probably not in this part of the world. But at least there's gonna be a spiritual funeral, psycho-emotional funeral which is exactly what we're celebrating when we do water baptisms, isn't it? What we're doing when we're celebrating a baptism is we're saying the old Harry or Mary or Larry, that old self who was selfish, who was prideful, who was greedy, who was rude, that old Larry, Harry, Mary, they have died, they've been laid to rest, and we put them under the water. We have their burial. But now they're raised to life. Filled with the spirit of Christ. That's what we're celebrating. Is that now he's operating, she's operating with Christ living inside of him or her. Their new creation in Christ. And that's what we're celebrating. That we're new. The problem with many of us American Christians is we keep lapsing back. Into the pre-baptized self. We are new creations in Christ. But we kind of forget. And we lapse back into the old creation. Like the guy who I was talking to. Not very long ago. And he said, you know, when I became a believer, one of the first things I wanted to do is I wanted to get one of those Christian fish. I wanted to put that fish on the back of my car. I just thought those are the coolest things. And I wanted that fish on the back of my car just to symbolize to me, I'm saved. I have Christ. I've been forgiven. I'm transformed. Look at what he's doing. And maybe some people will see it and say, well, I think I'd like to know Christ too. And so he said, I got so excited. I got that fish on the back of my car. And then one day I'm driving down the highway in traffic. And somebody cuts me off and I flip them off. And all of a sudden, I felt so convicted. I was thinking, I, I'm a Christian, I'm in a new creation. I don't think you're supposed to flip people off now if I love Jesus. I said, Well, yeah, it can be a little confusing. And so, yeah, that's probably good not to do. I said, So, what'd you do? He said, So I just I felt so c- convicted by the Lord. I went straight home and I plucked that fish off and I threw it away. <laughs> I laughed too. I said, okay, that story took a little turn in the end. I wasn't quite expecting. I was kind of expecting maybe you went home, you knelt down by your sofa and said, Lord, I repent, forgive me. Help me to have grace like you gave to Peter when he goofed up and and help me to be the man that you've called me to be, to love Jesus, even in traffic, even when somebody, you know, cuts me off. (laughs) And see, now... Here's where I tell you that story. I don't care care whether you have a fish or not. That's between you and God. The point here has nothing to do with that. The point is, I think realistically, many of us, we're inclined to do the very same thing. We're all in for Jesus when it's going well for us. But then when the going gets tough, all bets are off. You know, I'll follow you today, Jesus. Tomorrow I'm gonna live like hell. Thursday, I'll be back. Friday, I don't know. You know, and Tim Keller says it doesn't work that way. He says there's, there's not two kinds of Christians: the regular Christians, and then the special Christians who really follow him. There's only one. And to be a Christian is to really say, I'm gonna die to My self-will. I'm going to be one of his followers. How often? He says that, not in this verse, but in a parallel verse. You go back in chapter 9, verse 23. I think Duffy had preached that one to us a few months ago. And what does he say? He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. In other words, he's saying every single day. This is not like a one and done. Whew, okay, there. I lived like a disciple. Now back to normal. No, he's like, no, no. Tomorrow, when tomorrow gets here, gets here. I want you to commit yourself to me again. And live for my glory and die to yourself. Let me work through you again. You know why Jesus was so matter of fact? about this with this uh, with the people who are listening because Jesus surely knew you give me 10 million half-hearted christians nothing will change in the world but you give me a dozen who are sold out who are all in for me and we will change the course of history and you can bet that the crowd diminished by the end of this sermon. This was one of them weed them out kind of sermons where the crowds slipped off. And he says, that's all right. I need to know who's really with me because we're the ones who are gonna change this world. You're the ones who are gonna have the impact for me. So what does being a follower of Christ involve? It involves, first of all, we have to look at our priorities. Say, Lord, what's got to change? Secondly, we're going to say, there's got to be a funeral. What's got to die here, Lord? What do I need to put down? What have you been telling me to put down? I'm not putting it down. I keep hanging on to it. And that leads to the third thing. Following Christ means surrendering your all to him. Surrendering. Look at verse Verse 33. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Good. What does that mean? Well, it means different things. I can't tell you what it means for you. You can't tell what it means for me. In a few weeks, we're going to get to the passage where Jesus is going to talk to a guy that we call the rich young ruler. It's going to mean one thing for him. Then we're going to talk about another guy who's called Zacchaeus. It's going to mean a different thing for him. Not this, it's not formulaic. But it is going to mean something for you, for me, for everybody. Now, he prefaces this verse 32, 33 with two parables. Let's just look briefly at the parables. In the first parable, he says, if you were building a tower, wouldn't you sit down first and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to finish the project? Of course you would. They would build these towers in the agriculture fields just to make sure everything is going well out there. He says, of course... Who would go so far as to just pour the foundation and say, whoops, we didn't calculate enough. He said, it'd be a shame. That'd be an embarrassment. They'd tease you about that. Look at him, he poured the foundation and couldn't finish the tower. He said, don't do that. Don't, Don't go halfway in for me. I want you to count the cost. And I hope that you'll say, I'm following. I'm in. Let's not go halfway. And in the second parable, Jesus says, suppose you have a king and he's got 10,000 troops. But then he hears another guy, another king with 20,000 troops is marching his way. What's he gonna do? He's gonna calculate, that's two against one. This is gonna be terrible. He's gonna whip up a delegation, send the delegation out. The delegation goes, hello, time out. You know what? We wanna make peace. We surrender, you win. Let's just save ourselves with all the mess, okay? And <clears throat> Jesus is saying, that's exactly right. What I'm saying to you, I'm coming to you now. And I'm saying, surrender, I'm going to be charged. I want you to follow me. That's what I'm looking for. The challenge again, with many of us in America, American Christians and just Christians in the West. We're perpetually trying to figure out, how could I go halfway in? I like the thought of eternal life. That sounds pretty good. But i just like to get close enough to get some of that, but never so close that I have to really sacrifice anything, right? The thought of having a relationship with Jesus, that sounds good, but I just want the relationship on my terms, to which Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's not ever what I offer. Surrender does that mean for you? I don't know. But I can tell you some things it's meant for me. Years ago when we were starting the church, more than 20 years ago, first in my apartment, then in a home and somebody, and then we moved to the kids, our kids' daycare center, then we moved to the club and everybody's school. go, and somewhere in almost every single week I would say, all right, everybody, we're starting a church. And I'm going to tell you about three kind of people, three kind of people that come to new churches. There's a kind that sign on in pencil lead, and that's okay. But what's a pencil have on the other end of it? A big, fat eraser. I don't want you to sign in pencil lead. Then there's another kind. They sign in ink. That's better, better than pencil. It's more permanent. I don't want you to sign in ink. I want you to sign like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn in blood. I wanna know you're gonna go all in. I gotta know that you're going all in or else we're never gonna get this church started. I want you to pray all you can. I want you to serve all you can. I want you to give all you can. I want you to sign in blood. And they go, woo! And so that's how this church got started. Well, somewhere back around then, my dad said to me, I I wanna have lunch with you. And I said, okay, so we met up uh, somewhere, and we had lunch and sat down, and he slides a file over to me. He said, this is yours. And I said, oh, well, what is it? He says, well, your grandmother, his mom, started a trust fund for you and one for each of the grandchildren years ago. And uh, I'd been in charge of those. But now I won't be. It says when you're 32, it comes to you. I said, "Oh," He said, so there you are. I said, well, wow. Thank you. Praise the Lord. How much is it? And, and he says, "It's worth about 150,000 right now." This was in about 98 or nine or 99 or somewhere around there. I was like, "Wow. Now at this time, Faithworth is paying me 20 something thousand dollars, and I'm like, "This will really help." He said, "I don't think you should spend it. No, 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 it'll help because I don't know how much to save. This can just be my long-term savings. He said, that's good thinking, son. Use that. Let's that interest compound over the decades. And one day when you retire, man, it might be well worth a million dollars. I said, wow, this is great. Thank you, Dad, so much. We Stood up, hugged, went our own directions. I think it was that night. I'm sitting in my apartment. I wasn't married yet. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, half and I began to wonder half and half? Do I need to get some groceries? What was going on? And 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 I felt like he said, half. I want you to give half. And you know how it is when the Lord tells you something and you're a little resistant. It's it's usually then that we get theological and say, well, how do you really know if it's the voice of the Lord? And some people don't even think the Lord does speak anymore, so probably it's just a figment of my imagination. But you can always know that it's the Lord's voice if it just keeps coming back. And I tried to put it out, but it kept coming back, half. And I felt like the Lord said, you've been asking everybody else to sign in blood. When are you going to sign in blood? I said, "Lord, I've already signed in blood. I became a pastor for crying out loud. I could have done any number of other things and made a lot more. But I'm a pastor. I'm all in. You don't have to worry about me, really. I'm good. I'm all in. I have signed in blood." He said, "Half." <coughs> so finally I said, "All right." Now, we just opened up the bank account for the new church. And so I called them and I said, "I'm going to make a the biggest donation that the church has ever had. They said, okay, that's a little awkward. You can't make the donation and walk out with the receipt for the church. You're gonna have to bring somebody else with you. So I called our treasurer, his name was Ron. I explained, he said, I'll meet you there. We met up the next day. I don't think we were in the bank for more than 20 minutes. But some of you have heard me tell this story over the years. You already know the answer. To the question, what did I feel when I walked out of the bank and got in my car? Panic? Despair? Confusion? Doubt? Second guessing? Questioning myself? Anxiety? Depression? Buyer's remorse? No. Total peaceful exhilaration. It was a cool fall day. I remember it just felt like the clouds of confusion parted. And I felt the beams of God's sunlight shining down. And I sensed him saying to me as I drove home with the wind blowing. Now I know you're really following me. You just let go of something that was very easy to have otherwise held on to. And I just felt Peaceful and excited and blessed. Now, I know some of you are cynics. You're like, yeah, well, you still kept half. No. When we had our land campaign, the Lord came back got the other half. So, <laughs> so you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the second half was easier to give than the first half because it's surrendering. It's, in surrender, it's that first step. That's the hardest step for us to take. Now, my question is, what is God saying? I'm asking you to let go of that. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's something else. That's not really been the hardest thing for me to surrender. I'll tell you what the hardest thing for me to surrender is. Kind of like Abraham of old, who had to go up to the top of the mountain with his son Isaac. The thought of surrendering my children back to the Lord... Because I love my boys so much and I want good for them. If I'm not careful, I can kind of try to control them because I just want things to go well for them. And my younger one in particular, he's William. He's always been our athlete. He's just naturally built as an athlete, unlike his father. And every sport, they've all come easily to him, but none more than football. He loves football virtually born with a helmet on his head. He's played flag all his growing up years and then I remember coming into sixth grade. He said, Dad, I want to play tackle next year. He said, yeah. I was kind of afraid you were going to say that. You know, son, I've watched this thing about the concussions and I just, I don't know. I don't don't think that's a good idea. He said, well, would you pray about it? I said, yes, I'll pray about it. So I held out about as long as I could with not much prayer and hoping it was going away. It wasn't going away because every time a dad would say, you're going to play next year, right? He would say, I don't know. You're going to have to ask my dad. So they'd come towards me too. And so finally, we were in Colorado and there's this rock that I loved, gone and sat on ever since I was a little guy. And I went out to that rock and I was praying and I said, Lord, you know I'm having a hard time with this because I don't want anything bad to happen to him. And I said, I sensed the Lord say to my spirit, you know I've made him athletic. You've got to let him play. So that evening I said, I feel like God told me the answer. You're going to play tackle. He gave me a big old hug. The good thing was he went to a little private smaller school. And so I had a backup calculation. These kids aren't the strongest, fastest kids. (laughs) We're going to be okay. Until last winter, as he was coming to the end of his eighth grade, he said, Dad, I've outgrown this program. I want to go to public school because I want to play on a big team. I want to be coached hard. I want to be pushed. I want to get yelled at. I want to be faster. I want to be stronger. I want to be better. I just feel like God made me to play football and I want to go to the public school. I said, oh, son, I've been reading the statistics about middle linebackers. They're the ones who get the most concussions. You really think so? some weeks later he and Suzanne and I were sitting and he said I I tell you why I need to go to the public school yes it'll be great to have more players stronger team better coaching he said but all my life I've gone to a Christian school and when you go to a Christian school dad you come back from your curious group And everybody's said, we're going to go invite our friends to church and say, you need to get Jesus in your life. And you go and try that at your Christian school with your Christian friends. They're like, duh, William, we go to a Christian school. Some of them really are. Some of them think they are, but either way, they're not much interested. He said, I want to go to the public school because if I can let my light shine there, I think I'll earn people's respect with my athleticism. And then maybe one of them will say, so William, what makes you tick? And I'll be able to say, Jesus. And at that I looked at Suzanne, and says the Lord say, surrender it. Let him do what I've made. I bet there's something in your life that you're hanging on to as well. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a relationship of some sort. Maybe it's a job of some sort. Maybe it's something financial of some sort. I don't know what it would be, but I just have a sneaking suspicion. I'm not the only one here today who the Lord's been working on, even as I was preparing this week. I just have a sneaking suspicion the Lord is saying, no, 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 there's something in here for all of us today. Where do you need to evaluate your priorities? Where do you need to schedule a funeral and say, I'm going to lay this, I'm going to die to this? What do you need to surrender? That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Well, it's not me asking you, it's Jesus who's asking us to do it. He says, All of me for you, now, all of you for me. But you know what I've learned? The further along in this I've gone, the more I've concluded he is better. Jesus is better, 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 better anything I could prioritize on my own, anything I could try to keep alive on my own, anything I could try to hang on to on my own, he is better. So let's turn and surrender it to him and know life like we've never known it before. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, these are challenging words. They were surely challenging the pack of people to whom you spoke them live. They challenge us 2,000 years later. There's something in here for all of us. Every single one of us has something on our list of priorities that you've been saying. That has got to change. Why do you keep wasting time on that? Especially if That's the thing that's keeping us from spending time with you. Forgive us, Lord. Or where is it, Lord, that we're trying to keep something going along, contrived and acting like it's full of life, but you're saying, put that down. There needs to be a funeral about that. Let it go. Give us grace, Lord, to die to whatever it is in our self-will we have to let go of. whatever it is that you're calling us to, surrender. That's surely what's standing between you and us. And you're saying, hey, all of me for you. Let go of it. All of you for me. Once you give us grace to act on that today and then tomorrow, next day. And give us more grace just like you gave the Israelites of old. Enough manna for each day. Never for months and years at a time. But for the day. Give us the grace to walk faithfully with you.